He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to week 117 of a Good Talk Spoil Golf podcast. As always, I'm James Richardson and I'm back at the show this week. Thanks for Barry for holding the fort on his own for the last couple of weeks. Uh, how are you, Barry? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, it was good fun with Chris on the show, Chris Solomon. Yeah, it was vice versa, me on his show, no laying up. Um, yep. Yeah. Love just well, delighted Good to have you to back, be. though. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I was fishing for that, so yeah. it was nice that you <laughs> gave it to me. Uh, if anybody wants to get in contact with us, the Twitter handle is at PodcastGTS, and the email is a goodtalkspoiled at gmail.com. Thanks for all the interaction that we've been getting over the last couple of weeks, especially with the Open. Uh, a lot of banter going on back and forward with people. I suppose, Barry, um, you know, we have a very special week this week. We have an interview that you took place with uh, Peter Costas that's going to come up mm. shortly but before we get there let's talk about our own games and uh, a congratulations 68 last week in the medal not quite enough to get over the line no um, kind but of felt it at the time after the 18th that uh, really it was probably a 64 65 needed it and it felt, it it, felt like that on the day but um, yeah I was really happy 78 gross for 68 net so back down to nine after slipping back to ten. Um, I didn't. You've lo- got a bit of wiggle room now because you're I, nine exact, so you've yeah. you've got a little bit of wiggle room now kind over the next arm, few weeks. Let's say armbands or something like that. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, little, there's a little. Yeah, there's a little space. So it was really nice. Um, I, I I played on the Friday on the day before. Um, wasn't playing great. Hit a lot of bad shots, but figured a couple of things out. I went out on Saturday, and for the most part, I thought I played. I hit the ball very well, and uh, really happy with the round. It's good to be down to nine, and uh, yeah, it didn't I, feel didn't feel good slipping back to ten. I didn't like that. I think uh, I, I think from from the the vantage point that I had of the round, uh, Lady Luck did play a large chunk uh, oh, at, gosh, at certain yeah. points over the course. Uh, it oh, wasn't, I, I will. It ho- wasn't your smoothest uh, sixty eight in your life. I will openly admit I had. A couple of one outrageous piece of fortune, uh, which will take way too long to discuss. I, I'm actually embarrassed about how lucky that was. Oh, on the uh, on the eleventh, when but, you thought you were out of bounds. Yeah, <laughs> look, you take you take these breaks when you get them because golf smacks you. No, no, and that's, that's time, the thing. And, so. and in fairness, uh, even with that, when you thought you were out of bounds and you had played a provisional, and then walking up, you found the ball, um, which obviously it bounced on a path. We thought it had gone into the out of bounds. In fact. It obviously had bounced so high and so far that it actually went and cleared the out of bounds. But in fairness, you still had to get a score from the hole, and and and, and you did so. Uh, well played, and and congratulations. Yeah, a little uh, mid round wobble, like the 11, 12, 13 weren't great, but uh, yeah, finished. I finished. Nice. I think it was one one under for the last five holes or something like that. So it was nice, nice to finish strongly. And um, when I had that little wobble in the middle of the round, so I think it was a what tied fifth. In the end, somewhere around that, fifth I, I, or sixth. I, I, again, like I'm not overly concerned with prizes or places. I was just really happy with the performance. Well, you wouldn't because you didn't win a prize. Well, exactly. <laughs> I, I think I got second. You in, got second in second the second category yeah. one, so I get a little prize voucher. So uh, yeah, happy days. And you had a nice little bit of success this afternoon in the yeah, Wednesday so, football. Um, myself and Brian Downs, who I, I know is a listener, uh, an, an avid listener to to the podcast. Uh, myself and him went out today and. Uh, 
were in a really in, a really enjoyable um, line with uh, Donald Meehan and, and the guy Aidan Lawler and uh, it was a four ball so it was one to score myself and uh, Brian teamed up and, and Aidan and uh, Donald so Donald is a man who um, has has a lot to say pretty much all the way around uh, a lot of banter and a lot of uh, holds no punches no and, yeah, and but it's like, he's good fun it's he, always he, good fun he, he's, he's more than happy to admit that he's willing your ball into the uh, into the rough or into a bunker or oh hard luck you missed that you know a lot of sarcasm but he, he gives ne- it and he yeah. takes it so but it's never malicious it's always in no. good jest like yeah he's a good guy so we, uh, we went out in 21 came back in 24 for 45 and uh, thankfully we won on the back nine uh, myself and Brian so uh, you know we're, we're, we'll rekindle that partnership in the future uh, two mystery prizes away for you yeah we don't know what they are but uh, but no do you know what we both myself and Brian said when we were playing and, and we said it afterwards and we had a drink with Donald and, and Aiden. that actually the great thing was we just played with a bit of fun it was just it was a beautiful evening for golf it was not too warm it was sunny bit of wind but not too much and it just it was just good crack. We mm. like nobody was taking it seriously. If we had come in with thirty one points, we would be as happy as we are with forty five. But uh, it just goes to show, like you know, when we had forty forty five with a one point on um on the on the twelfth where man did we puke that hole. Uh, seriously puked it and we both walked to the thirteenth and said, like, let's just reset and I think we went I think you know, I had a I had a, an eagle chance on fifteen, uh, which just ended up short of the hole. Brian hit probably the best shot of the day on fourteen to three foot from the pin uh, on the par three fourteenth. Um, so look, we know good really fun equals good golf. Oh no, and that's and that you know it's a lesson to be learned from all of us is if you play with the shoulders back and a smile on your face, it's amazing how whatever you score really doesn't matter. And even, even, if the, even if you do hit a bad shot, it just doesn't matter. You don't really care as uh, much. Look, and, and obviously in, in four ball, it's a little bit easier yeah. because, you know, you can... I, I was able to kind of race a few. Like, I, I'm 14 when I knew he was pretty much stitched to the hole. Like, I was short and I hit my wedge. I, I came, I was short of the green and I hit my wedge and I, he was like... So you were trying to make that, weren't you? I was like, damn fucking right I was making that. I wasn't holding back. And I wasn't even trying to let it roll in. I was just trying to slam dunk the hell out of it. <laughs> um, so things like that, you can you can kind of play a little bit freer, which which is great. But uh, So well done, Brian. Uh, delighted uh, delighted that we, we brought that home. So uh, yeah, see nice you next win, week guys. Uh, <laughs> for the next one. Uh, we'll keep this uh, team going. So let's, um, let's skip the news because, let's face it, there's bugger all news. And... Uh, Let's look at the LPGA. A couple of weeks ago, the U.S. Women's Open was held at the Corda Valley San uh, Martin in California. It was played over the 6,752-yard par 72. And uh, Brittany Lang won after a playoff versus Anna Northquist. And uh, it was really there's a little bit of an issue here, which I'm, not sur- I'm surprised this doesn't happen more in the professionals. Well, the thing is... They never have those super high definition cameras zoomed in on every golfer who hits a, f- a shot into a fairy bunker into a bunker. It was just because it was a playoff. It was just it was really unlucky. Her she was getting the club low to the deck in the bunker, and she the bottom of her club hit this one little pokey grain of sand that was sitting on top of one of the drills of sand made by the rakes, and it tumbled over. And this was only picked up. A few minutes afterwards, by the super high def zoom camera, and like, look, 
she broke a rule. It's really unfortunate, and if you know, no, it's just a horrible way to lose. And I'm not. Sure, I don't think Brittany Lang will like the way she won. Of course, she's going to take the win, but it's just it's not. Um, it is what it is. It Some, happens. Sometimes it you sucks. need lady luck on your bag, yeah. and, and and it was for for Brittany Lang, and and she's a major winner, and and, and delighted for her. The reason I say I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often is that I was noticing and we'll get on to the, uh, the, the the Open Championship in a minute but it's amazing how tight to the bunkers the pros rest their club mm-hmm. I'm usually so petrified that I'm pretty much like hovering it around my knee that I don't touch it <laughs> but you know st- the, the, the steady hands that those pros have yeah. and how low that they can get it like there's times when you look at it and you go that's gotta be touching and, and it's the, amazing because they, they're not but it is it is very 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 close and the thing is Anna Norkvist said she didn't feel anything and how would she I mean, it was one or two grains of sand that were stuck together that her club touched off and you could make you could make a, you could make a case that a lot of these pros who are getting very close to sand maybe do touch the sand ever so slightly but it, it's so imperceptible to our hands you just don't notice yeah I don't think you could ever tell but in no. any event uh, congratulations to Brittany Lang hard, hard luck to Anna Northquist somebody who will I have no doubt be there or thereabouts again over the course of the season yeah she's playing fabulous this year yeah um, I, I'll always remember watching her at the Irish Open uh, yeah. you and I followed her for a good few holes and uh, made us feel very inadequate about our games player um, the LPGA's uh, tournament last weekend was the Marathon Classic at the Highland Meadows Golf Club in Ohio it was played over the 6,512 yard par 72 and uh, a woman who just keeps on winning Lydia Ko won little more difficult on this uh, this time having to go to the fourth playoff hole where she won over uh, Miriam Lee and I'm not even going to try that name somebody else AJ she yeah, AJ Aria Jutanugarn I'm not even sure if that's the right stress as pronunciations that's as good as I got in the locker though it's uh, it's a lot closer than I was going to get so congratulations to Lydia Ko another victory under her belt so Let's turn our attention to, I suppose, the main event, which was the 145th Open Championship, which was played at the beautiful Royal Troon Golf Club in Scotland. It was over the 7,190-yard par 71. And uh, I suppose anybody who has been living under a rock probably doesn't know. but they still have heard about it. Henrik Stenson and Phil Mickelson uh, basically blew the whole of the field apart uh, to go out and go head-to-head in a match play tournament on the uh, Sunday. And it is just possibly the greatest final rounds of golf of a major probably ever. Uh, 63 for Henrik Stenson, 65 for Phil Mickelson. And... You have to say that uh, Phil did absolutely nothing wrong over the course of Sunday. He was just beaten in the end by a guy who wanted it a little bit more. Just and played ended that a little up bit just better. Played that, yeah, and just you know made some absolute rakers of putts that really were at the time you're thinking two putts is a really good putt from here. Mm. And all of a sudden it goes in. It was three or f- two or three putts on the, the back nine on Sunday. That changed that score from sixty three to sixty five or sixty six, and it was, and two, that was or three, the two or three puts by Phil that went over the edge, and that's the difference. They both played absolutely phenomenal golf. I, I don't think I'll ever have the privilege of watching such a phenomenally exciting final round 
regardless of how I did with bets or whatever, and the fact that I co- Stenson was one of my picks. I mean, just Stenson's always one of your. Picks, he is so. always one of my picks, of course. Yeah, <laughs> this you shoot enough darts, you'll get a bullseye. Exactly. No, but like just from a pure golf fan point of view, this was just it was golf porn. I was glued to the TV, and it was just enthralled. It was magical and an absolute privilege to watch these two guys just go hammer and tongs at each other it, it, it was it, it was marvelous like. it was kind of like and 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 i was uh, saying this to to my wife that the whole of it reminded me of kind of a an ali fraser kind of you know kind of just a slog fest it was just yeah. like they were standing for for 18 rounds and they just punched the lights out of each other until one eventually just collapsed yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was what it was like Nobody else came close, you know, uh, J.B. Holmes, Steve Stricker, Rory McIlroy, Terrell Hatton, Sergio, Beef Johnson, uh, Dustin Johnson, like all these guys were top, top tens, but they were miles behind. They, they were, were playing you know, another event. 14 shots behind, like this is kind of when you talk about in soccer terms, you know, it was like you take the top couple out and everybody else is playing for the, the, the fifth place, which is the first of the second league. Yeah, yeah. This was superb golf. It, it it was superb by Phil, superb by Henrik. As much as there was a part of me that really wanted Phil to win, mainly because I didn't have to listen to you, and also <laughs> also because there was a part of me that just wanted to see your face when he blew up again, it is really hard to say that it, it wasn't well-deserved by Henrik Stenson. 40 years old, first major, you know, and... and People were making the point, and it was made at the during the the coverage, um, mainly by I think um, Butch Harmon. This is a guy who went and won the Order of Merit, um, you know, the FedEx Cup in America. He's won the, the, race, uh, to the, the race to Dubai. He in has, the same year, you know, all of these tournaments. He just hasn't necessarily yeah. gone through the door at a major, but he has been. Like he's, I think, world nine, number six. I think nine, he's now five. Nine top threes in majors before this. He'd, he'd done everything but win one. And, you know, if you're going to say, well, if it can't be if it can't be Henrik, it can't be Phil, then you're kind of looking at Sergio and going, oh, come on, Sergio, we'll, we'll let you get through yeah. the door. But it was a superb, superb. In terms of, very briefly, the, the golf was excellent. The sportsmanship was, in my opinion, top notch. Yeah. The course, I just thought... For 7,190-odd yards, you know, par 71, it, you know, if you take the other two, if you take the top two out, it was minus six was the score. This yeah. did, the, you don't need it to be long. You don't need it to be, you know, well thought out, clever design of a golf course. Mm. does not get overpowered by your bubba, what, uh, bubbles or your, 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 your big hitters. It was about strategic playing of the round of golf lots of three irons off the tee but sensible playing yeah it was a very it was a very fair golf course now it was the golf course was aided by some pretty heavy winds at times and they were never in the same direction which presented a great challenge to the guys um it's probably not the most spectacular looking links golf course out there but it really presented a very good test of all aspects of your game you had to hit it well off the tee you had to hit very good iron shots. There were a lot of very punishing green complexes where if you missed the green, you were in trouble. If you were really wide in the fairway, you were in some heavy, nasty rough and you had to make a great recovery shot. Um, but even when... even and, and, the, and the fact that the greens were a little bit slower than they usually are on tour because the RNA didn't cut them too tight because of the predicted wins 
the fact that the greens were slower presented a different challenge from what the guys uh, are usually used to. Um, as you'll hear later on, Peter Costas made a great point and he said, it's easier for the guys to adjust to playing to greens at 15 like an Oakmont than it is for them to adjust to greens playing 9, 9.5 like they were at Troon. And uh, I agree, like a lot of them struggled with it. But it also, even when they were just off the fairway or, you know, there was moments where they're stuck behind a little bit of a nasty bit of mm. uh, grass that was going to, you know, grab the club. It wasn't always easy. You know, it was, uh, there was a few other things I, I suppose I took from it. One, uh, why does Steve Stricker not play as much golf? Uh, <laughs> because he, he played superb over the course of the week. 67, 75 was the, the real letdown in round two. 68, 69 for, for tie, you know, uh, for, for fourth place. And, um, to me, the standout, if you take away Henrik and you take Phil out of it, was uh, Andrew Beef Johnston. Uh, he just what a character! He stole the show, you know, didn't he, he? He's just got everything. Yeah. He's got a bit of a bit of uh, just just gravitas. Like he just seems like a guy that I have said this about. Um, uh, uh, you know, our player, um, that you just want a hug from him. You know, from Shane Larry, but like, I just, I think you kind of want one from Andy Beef Johnston now. Yeah. Like, the other person I thought was a great story, and we talked about him earlier this week uh, or earlier this season, was uh, Matthew Southgate. You know, this is the guy who a year ago to that weekend mm-hmm. was undergoing surgery, uh, comes back tied uh, tied twelfth, is guaranteed to play again next year. Um, any any other stories, Barry? That that you thought were like? No, I just, I mean, I think the. This, this tournament, this this final round, this Open Championship will only have perspective in a few years' time. We'll be able to look back on it and really appreciate it for how it stacks up against other ones. I mean, but I, I, I do think Henrik deserved it. He shot the the best round in round two, best or tied best, the best round in round three. He was tied, actually, with somebody else. And the best round in round four. Like, what a way to go and grab and grab it. It was... It's brilliant. I mean, it is... Even Jack Nicklaus says it was better than the jewel in the sun. Now, it's... It's hard to come up with an accurate, you know, descriptor of it this close to the event having finished. But in a few years' time, I think this is going to be one of the ones we look back on, or you look back on, watch the highlights of that final round. You'll want to watch that one or two hour package of the hundred forty fifth Open of Troon. I, I think. I think the fact that Henrik went out and he shot four rounds in the seventies in very tough conditions at times. Sixties. Uh, sorry, yeah. in the sixties. Uh, you know, four sub seventy rounds. Uh, 68, 65, 68, 63. That's why he's the Open champion and that's mm. why he's the champion golfer for, for 2016 and I think it's well-deserved. Yeah, and I think like the, the records about like the record score to par, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you, can, you can take those or whatever. They're great, brilliant, you've got it. But the thing he's going to care about most is he's got the Claret Jug in his possession oh, for and, the next and, year and, and he's got that major tag. You know, the, Like I can, I can understand Phil wanting to make Open history and have the 62 on the first day Henrik never really had the 62, I think, in his head on no, Sunday. Like, that no. wasn't his aim. I mean, if he makes that um, put on 17, he's going to play 18 even more conservatively. Because yeah, he's, yeah. Well, I don't think you could leave it tighter to that bunker on 18. But, <sighs> well, but I, I just don't think that you, iron, I yeah. just don't think you, you're looking at it on the Sunday. Mm. Can I ask you, before we move on from the Open, this was the first time it went to Sky Sports, yeah. away from traditionally the BBC. And... Um, the coverage between everything that was going on in the driving range, the 
technology in terms of pro tracer there was hole tracer there was handheld cameras down to see the undulations and the full package with sky good job bad job could do better i give them like a solid eight out of ten just room for improvement on a few things uh i thought the thing i've missed from what we're so used to over the years of bbc is not seeing the variety of golfers throughout the tournaments. They, they, they got very US style focused on two or three golfers and there was other stuff happening out there and players finishing rounds and big players finishing rounds. They didn't show them. And you kind of... Now I understand on the Sunday why they just focused in on Stenson and Mickelson. Why would you want to watch anything else? This was fabulous. But there's a lot of downtime where they're just following the guys walking up the fairway when you could go off and show a couple of shots from little side stories and got big guys, big names finishing... So, look, overall, I thought it was very good. The, the length of coverage and throughout, and they you know, they've great commentators there. The, I thought the open zone by the range was a brilliant addition. Like, it, did, it, took a, it took a few hours to take off on the first day, but once the players saw what was going on, they all embraced it and they were in there. And I thought it was a really cool thing. I love the Pro Tracer, the Trackman Pro Tracer on the driving Yeah, range. that was good. You yeah. know, that was, that was a great a, a, initiative. They, um, ne- they needed more Pro Tracer on the Lynx Golf Course because you don't have the definition that other courses give you with trees there where you can see the ball a little bit better. In the Lynx Golf Course, with grey skies, it's very difficult to track the ball. And in windy conditions, it would be really, really good as a golf fan to see how much these guys move their ball and with the wind and how they use the wind and, and their trajectory to get their ball around the golf course. We need more Pro Tracer. No, I, look, I, I thought they did a really, really, really good job. I, I My only complaint, and I said it to you and you've touched on it, was just that I think that there was times where there was other stories or other people out on the course that, you know, and I mean on round one and round two, Three and four, you can understand they're looking at the top tens, they're looking at the major guys who are there. But there was a lot of stories deeper down that never got shown. Like, you know, just if I look very, very locally, like Paul Dunn, what he did last year, I didn't see one shot of Paul Dunn this year. Now, I'm not suggesting that we had to see every one of his shots, and he mm. obviously didn't make the cut for the weekend. But there was no even, like, oh, and here, you know, we're going to jump across to the... And it may have been because of the cameras, it may have been whatever the way they set it up, but there was a lot of stories going around where somebody like, for instance, uh, Matthew Southgate uh, and Beef, they were trying to get the top 15 to make sure that they're back next yeah. year. There was guys who were maybe looking at putts that might have got them in the top 15, knocked out of the top 15. We didn't see any of that. Yeah. So <laughs> there, there were bits like that that I just thought, you yeah. know, they could have done a little bit for, better. For their first year, upscaling their production to what they did, they did a very good job. And I know they'll come back even better next year because Sky do have a habit of making their production better and better and their shows better and better. So I, I would I would say next year, they'll go up that level. They'll fine-tune things. They'll have a couple more new things in there as well, technology-wise. Yeah. And it'll be a better package. But I think overall, very good. I heard, I actually didn't do it myself, but I was reading on the Golf Betting System Facebook group that the open website had coverage of the eighth the eighth hole, the postage oh, yeah, stamp yeah. on, and they had that in their laptop. I never thought of doing that. I was just quite happy to sit there and just absorb Sky. They, pro- the they probably would have had it for more shots if it wasn't for the fact that the, the camera on the zip line yes. uh, uh, burnt out and uh, went on fire. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> but even that was a good idea. You know, yep. I, What I did like was there was a lot of... Um, Clearly, where they had done the pre-packages, a lot of the drones had been used, a lot of mm. stuff. I, I, I thought it was a very good package. Yeah. I, as a whole, for the Open, 
for the third major of the year. Is it so far the best major of the year? And it's not even a contest. So it's uh, well, is that because of Henrik, or is it just generally? Uh, oh, it was, I think that's one of the the greatest rounds of golf you'll see played by him, played by Henrik, but one of the greatest battles of a back nine of a major, or sorry, so of a back should, of an eighteen hole. Sorry, it wasn't even eighteen holes. It was the Saturday it was and the Sunday. I mean, hey, that, this was just phenomenal stuff. So uh, the Ryder Cup, I mean, the Open Championship. Uh, do you? Uh, because that's all we heard on Sky was like, this is like a Ryder Cup. Yeah. It's like Europe versus uh, the States. Out of ten, where do you put this on the on the scale of uh, of of majors? Is it a is it a nine and a half, ten out of ten, eleven out of ten? Nothing will get a 10 out of 10. You can't give it a 10 out of 10 because it can always be a little bit better. It gets us 9.5, of course it does. It Close was, enough to perfect. No, it does. Like, I mean, what, the only thing you could, whatever, uh, you maybe have it a little bit tighter going down the 18th. Like Phil's put on uh, 16 goes in for Eagle instead of going across the hole. Uh, yeah. It was it was it was just magical, and uh, I'll um, I'll look forward to watching the highlights of that again and again over the years. Well, Sky Sky will certainly continue to show them. Um, so look, it was a special weekend, and congratulations to Henrik Stenson, the Championship Golfer of the Year for 2016. I'd say there's been quite a lot of uh, uh, juice drunk out of the Claret Jug at this time. Um, what was also very special over this weekend, Barry, was the interview that took place between yourself and Peter Costas. Um, something that you had been looking forward to for a long, long time. And uh, it's, yeah, it's was been, it as exciting as you had hoped? I, I could have talked to him for... Sorry, I wouldn't have talked. I could have listened to him for hours. His insights and his thoughts on the game had me kind of stunned and coming up with you know silly reactions because of just making me trying to trying to process what he was saying there were just some very profound and really great insights into the game some brilliant instructional points for amateurs as well i tried to get a little bit of a lot of different subjects because you know it didn't have all day with him and um, but he was really generous to give me um almost an hour of his time on sunday morning before the leaders teed off on that I, uh, I can't thank him enough. Um, he's one of my heroes. I was a little bit kind of starstruck. Uh, in a way, I was. like I, this, this guy is one of my heroes. I've loved listening to him for years and years and years. And to speak to him was an absolute privilege. So well, uh, thank you very much, Peter. And I hope everybody enjoys listening to it. Well, let's play that now. Hello, Peter. Thank you for joining us on a Good Talk Spoiled Golf podcast. How are you keeping? I'm doing well. I hope the weather in Ireland is uh, somewhat better than Scotland right now. Uh, it's a nice sunny uh, day today, yeah, so um, we seem to have stolen the good weather from the Open, but uh, leaving it as a nice challenge for them. Uh, Sunday morning of the Open, uh, I hope you're enjoying what you've seen so far. It's always a pleasure watching the guys battle against the elements, um, see how they handle it, because it's, uh, it's a big test. I mean, you have to be physically in control, hit the ball solidly, you have to be mentally in control uh, to maintain your strategy. And you have to have your emotions under control because you're going to get bad breaks and bad bounces. So I've always found the Open to be a, a complete examination of all the skills required to be a good golfer. And it is a Sunday of the Open. I don't want to put too much pressure on, but uh, who do you fancy between um, Henrik and uh, Phil? Well, I mean, it's hard to pick one against the other. They're both great people. Um, but Henrik, it seems to be, I've got three rules in the win. Rule number one, hit it solid. Rule number two, hit it solid. 
Rule number three, chip and punch your ass off. So, um, Henrik is, is hitting the ball more solidly than Phil right now. Uh, Phil is chipping and putting. So it's going to be an interesting um, battle this afternoon to see whether the ball striker beats the chipper and putter. I'm favoring Stenrick, Henrik at the moment. I think Stenson, with his ball striking, uh, prevails at the end. Oh, well, fingers crossed. And you've just made my Christmas card list of that pick. Henrik's one of my favorite players. Um, we're speaking about fundamentals. I think it's a good segue into maybe some uh, ideas and things that uh, our listeners could could pick up from. So what, for you, are the most important things for amateurs to focus on in terms of their, their golf swing? Well, I mean, um, amateurs tend to not work on the fundamentals. Um, they tend to uh, take the player who's hot at the moment and try to copy you know, his or her swing. Um, they, they don't really work on things to do, they work on things not to do. It's, it's kind of backwards with amateurs. So I, I prefer that they learn to uh, grip the club correctly for them, uh, get good posture and good balance and good ball position and good alignment, uh, because I, only when those things are under control do you have a chance of making a decent golf swing. But so many amateurs, they blow right by the, the pre-swing fundamentals and they start working on their golf swing and most of the things that go wrong in the golf swing go wrong because of stuff that you did before you even swung the club. Okay, so so we change things a little bit too often. Um, so what, what advice would you have, or what things do the pros do then each and every week that we could bring to our games? Is it, is it sticking to the same things or working with what they have on any given week? I've got some rules uh, for learning that I've developed over the years that I think people... Um, need to adhere to, um, and, and then I check these things every week, uh, every time, I, as many times as I've hit golf balls, as many times as I've played, I still go through these. Number one, uh, learn a stronger grip before you progress to a weaker grip. I think too many golfers have grips that are way too weak, and as a consequence, that causes their body to work incorrectly. Number two, uh, learn to hit balls from a narrow stance before you hit balls from a wide stance because that's going to improve your balance. And once you can get a good full turn with your feet together, widen it out a little bit and find out your proper stance. Uh, number three, play the ball farther back in your stance than forward. Like too many golfers have the ball way too far forward trying to get under and lifted in the air and that causes the weak slice. Um, number five, small swing success before full swing success. In other words, if you can't if you can't, can't cock your wrists and hands and arms and swing them lightly and, and hit a crisp 40-yard pitch shot, then don't be trying to hit a 340-yard driver because you don't have the, the awareness of the club face uh, that's required to be consistent. So I go through it, and I also I choke down before I hold the club at full length. So if you can do these things, if you can control the short swing, choking down the club with your feet close together and just kind of, you know, flick it out there, you'll develop a sense of rhythm and flow in your golf swing that you can carry on to a normal setup and a normal grip. Beautiful, beautiful. One thing, um, myself and James on the podcast, we're pretty good about getting down to the golf club a little bit in advance, in advance of our range to do a warm-up and... Um, 
and practice beforehand. Uh, not all amateurs, we don't always have time to do this beforehand. You know, people are working and whatnot. The pros have many hours before rounds of golf. What would be a good, if we have 20 minutes before a round, what are the few things that you would advise we could do that would help us bring our best game on the day? Well, I mean, it's different for everybody based on your personality and your golf swing. Um, I would I would chip and putt first, probably for 10 minutes, to get a good feel for my hands for that day, get a good feel for my tension level and my rhythm and so on and so forth. And then I'd go to the range I'd make a bunch of practice swings to loosen up. Then I'd hit a few wedges, maybe a few seven irons, and then a couple easy uh, three woods or drivers. And that's all I need with the full swing. And I would I would make sure that I start my round off uh, slowly. In other words, don't try to make a 100% golf swing off the first tee. Maybe just a 75% swing and then gradually grow your comfort level as you start to play. Whereas too many people start off full swing, full speed, miss hit it, out of play, out of bounds, whatever, and then they start getting defensive as the round goes on. I'd rather have you start off defensively and get more offensive as the, as the round progresses. Okay, great. With all the debate, and we see the pros are taking their fitness um, very, very seriously these days. They're in the gym a lot, they're working out a lot. Um, how much importance would you put on the gym and fitness work for, for us amateurs? And is it important to have a general level of fitness, or should we be working on certain things, or should we just go with what we have? Well, listen, anytime you can work out to be more fit, generally speaking, that's going to be a good thing for your golf game. But it is not a requirement. You do not have to go to the gym four days a week in order to have a good golf game. Um, and so I think that's been a, a, a misnomer with all the workouts that, whether it's Dustin Johnson or Tiger or Jason Day do, let's remember they're elite athletes and they have to get their body to perform um, perfectly for four days in a row, 72 holes in a row, and no fatigue, no tension, no, no stretching of the, or tightening of the muscles. Um, so they're at an elite level. We don't need that. As amateur golfers, all you need to do is be able to move. Um, which is why I, I, I detest players, amateur players especially, uh, playing with their left heel down on the ground because it creates so much tension and stress that it really makes things more difficult. Right? And that's another one of my rules. Learn to play with your left heel up before you earn the right to play with your left heel down. Looking, looking at the Open this week, the course isn't that long. Um, it's a bit shorter and tighter than we generally see. Would you like to see more courses like this uh, in play on tour? Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of, of golf courses that require uh, you to think, uh, to, to control your, your ball flight and your strategy. Um, you know, for example, if I asked you to name your favorite par threes in the world, I doubt that there would be any 240-yard par threes that you name. You know, they're going to be more like the postage stamp um, at 125 yards or maybe the 12th hole at Augusta, uh, which is, you know, right about 150, 150 yards. Um, and, and the classic par fours, you know, that's like 10 at Riviera, which is, you know, a little over 300 yards or 17 at PPC Scottsdale, which is 340 yards. And 
So these types of holes, I think, are fun to play for everybody. They're challenging. You can make a big number if you get too aggressive. Um, and, and architects, I think, have done a great disservice over the last 30 years thinking that just because equipment and the golf ball uh, has increased the distances that tour players are hitting the ball, that all they have to do is make holes bigger and longer. Because if you make it longer, they'll figure out a way to hit it farther. That's, I don't think that's necessarily good for the game. That's true. Some of the distances we've seen in the last couple of years of Jason Day and Rory and Bob are just, they're scary. Um, I mean, we see this week at Troon, it doesn't need to be enormous length and the greens don't need to be running like glass to present a challenge. Uh, I saw a tweet of yours earlier this morning about the speed of the greens presenting a different type of challenge and that the players are having difficulty adjusting to the so-called slower speeds of nine, nine and a half in the stint meter. Um, we think it's a, I think it's a really smart setup by the RNA. They've prevented any issues with the wind kicking in. Um, do you think there are any other events on tour that could, you know, that would, we don't have many links courses we see on tour, but do you think there's any other events or tournaments that could benefit from having a, a slower speed of their greens? Would that present a different challenge to the pros or would they be able to overcome that? Well, I think they would be able to overcome it in time, but I, I think you're seeing that that it's, it's far more difficult for these players to adjust to greens that are nine, nine and a half on the stint meter as, as they are this week at Troon than it was for them to adjust to greens that were 15 on the stint meter at Oakmont. Right? So if you're going to challenge the, the best players, I think slower greens will do that. And I would slow down the fairways as well. I mean, we're, we're really putting golf in a difficult predicament, I think, by feeling that, you know, the fairways have to be cut to a quarter of an inch long and they, so you can get 100 yards worth of roll. The greens have to be at .004 millimeters so that you can, you know, roll them at 15 on the stint meter. It's just too expensive for the greenskeeping crew to maintain this on a consistent basis. Makes golf more expensive. Takes longer to play when the greens are faster. So I think we're heading in the wrong direction with the way we're, we're presenting examinations for the best players in the world. And that always trickles down to the local club because the local club president sees uh, Oakmont or whatever and says, you know, I want my greens that fast too. And I want my fairways that short too. And it's just, I think it's all going in the wrong direction. So in that light, do you think what uh, Cor and Crenshaw did, for example, at Pinehurst, um, that's a good step or a step in a, in a different direction that could help golf courses in the future for sustainability? Well, yeah, I mean, here's the, here's the interesting thing. Uh, you know, the only advantage to being my age is that you've been there and done that before. Uh, I, I used to do golf schools with Golf Digest back in the 70s at Pinehurst. And the golf course back then was, was as it is now. But they wanted a U.S. Open, and the USGA told them, well, if they want a U.S. Open, they've got to plant grass, grow rough, and make it a U.S. Open examination. So they did that for a couple of U.S. Opens. And now they come back and they want another open, um, and and the USGA says, well, I think you need to go back and 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 make the course more sustainable and more natural and the way it used to be. So that kind of USGA made them change. Now they made them change back. It's kind of ridiculous when you stop and think about it. All these all these golf courses when they originally built had no trees or very few trees, and after 75 years, a bunch of trees grow up and. And they need to get rid of them. They need, they need to go back to sustainable golf courses um, and, and make the game more fun. 
Um, are there any, any ideas you have to for golf courses that could make it more fun then? Um, I mean, removing trees and you're saying slowing down fairways. Do you think tightening in fairways a bit more or having the rough a little shorter in courses? No, the, the rough needs to be shorter. Um, there's, that, there's that really perfect length of rough where um, you have to think, is this ball going to come out soft? Is it going to fly? Um, and you better make the right choice and you better make the right swing. Otherwise, the, the golf ball can go 20 or 30 yards too far or too short. Um, you know, six-inch rough, it doesn't take a genius to take a lob wedge and hack at it and get it back in the fairway. That, that's not, there's no recovery shot there. That's just a survival shot. So, you know, I, and, and again, uh, we started this problem in America when real estate developers uh, decided they wanted to use golf as a way to sell homes and they, they maximized the perimeter of the golf course, you know, by making holes go all the way out in different directions and making the you know, a good walk spoiled. <laughs> and uh, so we, we've lost the contiguous golf course design, you know, where you used to be able to hit it over to the right, out of play, but you're in another fairway, so you can get it back into play. Now you hit it out to the right, and you're in somebody's swimming pool. <laughs> I, I would prefer a contiguous golf course that's a little bit more wide open uh, with a lot of subtle undulations and stuff, and I think that you can present a very fun and very formidable challenge to golfers brilliant brilliant one question actually i always love seeing par being a challenge on tour you know it's great seeing the pros make a load of birdies um but there doesn't seem to be enough stops on tour to appease my appetite where par is a target for the week um is this something you'd like to see where the vastly different weeks on tour because everything seems to be a birdie fest these days so what you're telling me is basically you're a sadistic personality. No, not really. I just like to <laughs> maybe a little bit. No, I do like <laughs> I do like to see when par is a challenge. Um, birdies are good. If you hit good shots, you should get rewarded. You should be able to make birdies. But I do, you know, I like to see when the players have to go through, have to put a lot of thought into how to make a par when they've made a mistake or they've put their tee shot in a poor spot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, slightly sadistic, I suppose, but that only kind of comes out of the fact that we see so many weeks where there are just birdies flying and eagles flying and everywhere. So it's, I think it's maybe it's nice to see it for a change. Well, I think I think what I like to see is a, is a blend. I, I think a steady diet of uh, major championship golf that was very difficult. Um, you know, it, it would it would lose its uniqueness after a while. Um, and I think it gets very frustrating when you're constantly grinding just to make a par. Conversely, if birdies are required to win, a steady diet of that doesn't do anybody any good either. So I, I like a blend, but I would much rather see a golf course where when you play well, you're rewarded with a lot of birdies than when you play well, you're rewarded with a lot of parts. I just think that, that um, it, it's just not fun struggling and grinding out to make pars. You get very tired very quickly. Okay, okay. I, I, I will I'll bow to that. Um, I, I think a blend is good. I don't want to see um, them struggling all week long. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that cruel. Just on changes to the game, I mean, do, do you think that the, we need to make any changes to the, you know, there's a debate about the changes to the golf ball and having like the pros use a different golf ball. 
do you think that should happen or should we all stay playing the one game and then the the game be controlled by the golf course design and how courses are set up? I, I, am, I am dead set against uh, bifurcation of the rules or the equipment uh, because I think that one of the one of the most special things about our game is that uh, the elite players of the world and, and the and the beginners of golf all play the same game, you know, um, and you get to appreciate just how much skill and, and work and, and talent it takes to hit a 320-yard drive or uh, whatever the case may be because they're using the same equipment you are. Um, I, I don't think you need to roll back the golf ball. I do think that proper golf course design um, would would control how the players play, you know, and, and maybe, maybe they wouldn't necessarily take the driver out as many times, but that's not bad either, you know. I, I like to see a good, constructive blend between um, mental challenges and physical challenges, you know. And so I, I would keep the equipment the same. I really wouldn't bifurcate at all. No, I love that. I love the fact that in theory we could go out against a pro and if they have their handicap of plus whatever uh, or minus whatever actually as the case is and we go out with our handicap, we can in theory go and play them in a match uh, with the same gear. I just think it's a great concept, uh, one that we don't get much chance to, to do. Maybe playing pro arms you do get a chance to, to play against them in a sort of weird way but more changes to the game kind of questions golf is a global game but three of the four majors are played in the united states uh, would you be would you be interested to see a movable major i mean should the pga championship move around the world um well the short answer is no it's the it's the professional golfers association of america uh, it's not the Professional Golf Association of the world. So I don't think it should move around the world. I think that's a, that's kind of a useless argument that, that people make um, to try and make the PGA seem a little bit more important or, or whatever. Um, you know, the, the, the realities are that professional golf means you're playing for money, playing for your livelihood. And... Three of the four majors are in America because basically that's where most of the golf money is. Whether it's you know sponsorships or advertisers or whatever, um, if you take America out of the equation, um, then I think the game is going to suffer. Myself and James, we're huge fans of match play. Um, we don't get to see it much on tour, other than in the the World Match Play Championships, and then every two years for the Ryder Cup. It's a huge part of the amateur game, but it virtually disappears in the pro game. Um, would you be interested in seeing more match play on tour? I think, um, you know, match play is always uh, a difficult proposition uh, for television and for the tour because any given player on any given day can beat another in 18 holes. That's how good the world's best are right now. And ultimately, people don't want to see match play golf between two no-names on a Sunday afternoon. They do want to see a match play between, say, Rory McIlroy and Jason Day. They think that'd be spectacular. But if you give them the 
147th player in the world rankings against the 256th player in the world rankings, uh, not so much. Match play doesn't become that intriguing. Match play is more intriguing when you've got the personalities involved and the top players involved. So, to that end, I would like a hybrid tournament whereby you play 54 holes of golf and uh, let's say the top eight qualify for match play. Uh, and then you let those eight play play matches. And I would even go so far as to do what they do at certain clubs in America. I'd make them even nine-hole matches. They don't have to be 18-hole matches. You know, you can, you can still, you can take eight to four, four to two, and two to one in 27 holes. And, and make it really intense where it's almost sudden death match play. So I would like a hybrid type golf tournament. Oh, there we go. Tim Fincham needs to watch out for his job. That is a cracking format. <laughs> Tim Fincham's retiring, so he doesn't care about his job anymore. <laughs> no, I was implying you might take it with that. With that's a great idea. I love that idea. I'd love to see tournaments like that. The nine-hole match play idea is oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. Well, and, it would, and as well, what it would do is it would encourage people to realize that playing nine holes is a wonderful way, especially after work or whatever, if you don't have a lot of time, you still go and play nine holes and have, have fun and have a count. Yeah, great idea. Love that. We'll move on to kind of like broadcasting and tour weeks. And um, When you're there, on, you arrive at a tour stop any given week, do you see any indication of what guys are going to go well that week? I mean, by looking at them on the, you know, the practice range or in the, uh, or in the practice rounds, do you, do you get a feel for who might play really well that week and contend uh, come Sunday? Well, you, you may not know that, but you definitely get a feel for which players are fighting their golf swings and which players are comfortable with their golf swings. Um, and you get a good feel for the players who are, in a good frame of mind, you know, and not burned out after playing five weeks in a row or whatever the case may be. So you can pick out the players who have the least obstacles to playing well. I guess that's the best way of putting it. Okay. And what, um, to tour, like what events do you most look forward to each year? I mean, one either going to and working at or two and two watching on TV if you're not working at them? Well, I mean, for me, uh, the Pebble Beach, AT&T Pro-Am has always been a fun tournament at the beginning of the year because there are uh, a lot of the celebrities and athletes who, who play in the Pro-Am are, are friends of ours over the years, and, and it's fun to watch them compete in, a, in an arena that they're not comfortable in, whether it's an actor or a baseball player or a football player or whatever. Um, so that, that, to me, has always been fun. And plus, Pebble Beach is a, is a wonderful golf course, and... and Monterey Peninsula is a great, great venue to visit for a week in February. So that's one of my favorites. Um, the Masters is the tournament I would, I would, how do I say this? I would never not want to do the Masters. You know, it's the tournament that I would always want to do, but it's not necessarily the most fun week. It's a fairly stressful week for announcers. You're always on, on edge to make sure you don't say anything wrong or, ride your golf cart in the wrong place or, or do whatever. So, uh, but, but as an event, uh, it's spectacular. You know, it's only the players and their caddies inside the ropes. It, it's pristine. It, it's beautiful. I mean, when you watch, when you watch the, the coverage of the open this afternoon, um, finishing up, you're going to see 
fairways, golf carts driving up and down, carrying TV equipment and all that kind of stuff. And what it's not so pristine a look. So the Masters is, is obviously very fun for me. And, and as well, I enjoy the PGA. Because whatever you say about it, the fourth major, the weakest major, uh, it's had some phenomenal competitions uh, over the last few years. I mean, from Tiger beating Bob May, you know, all the way through with Dustin Johnson's debacle at Whistling Straits, it's had plenty of excitement. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on that. It really has thrown up some crackers. And, uh, yeah, this perceived weakest major, I, I don't know about that. It's just... Um, People, people looking for lines maybe to write about in, uh, in, in the media. Um, it's great. The, the one with Mickelson, Stenson, McElroy and Fowler there a couple of years ago, just magnificent stuff altogether. It, it, it's a brilliant event. And, and they, they say the golf courses aren't worthy, but the golf courses always seem to, um, you know, provide a competition coming down Sunday afternoon that, that is, uh, spectacular. Quickly looping back to, to tour and uh, Pebble Beach is probably a good one for this. Who do you most enjoy playing a game of golf with or having a drink with in the clubhouse after a round or the tournament is over? <laughs> um, well, most of my golf these days um, is played with uh, Ian Baker Finch and Gary McCord, um, you know, when we're on the road. And, and uh, I mean, they're two dear friends. Obviously, they're, they're work colleagues as well, but we have some good matches, some good fun, and, uh, and, uh, with Gary telling the stories in the 19th hole, that's, that's always enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Uh, in the commentary booth, um, I, I think most people would, uh, know you more recently for your work with, uh, technology. You seem to have embraced it a huge amount and, and the slow motion cameras. How important to you is the technology compared to when you started commentating? Well, I mean, um, that was always my, my, my plea to CBS. Um, and, and we had an executive, oh, I don't know, 12 years ago now that listened to me because he wanted, he was an avid golfer and he wanted me to, to give swing tips to some of the viewers. And, but when we watched the swings, all you could see was a blur of the club face. And, and so I, I made it uh, a challenge to them. I said, go find me a camera where we can actually see the club head. And, and then we can maybe do something. And they went out and they found it. And it was incredibly expensive years ago and not very mobile. Uh, but now it's, it's morphed into what we know as the Kanaka Minolta Bizhub Swing Vision Camera. And uh, it's really changed the way um, all sports have been done on television. If you stop and think about whether it's a... a, a an American football game or a soccer game or a baseball game, whatever, they're all using that high-speed camera now to show you the, the, the spin on a soccer ball or the, the rotation on a tennis ball. Um, all sports are employing it, and we were the first to do it. Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant thing. I, I can't get enough of watching the slow-mos every week, whether it be you or whether it be here watching the European tour when the guys do slow-mos. It's just fascinating to hear the commentary on it. Um, do, do you think they somehow can lead to a little bit of over-analysis of the golf swing? and, and try, kind of in, People can be in pursuit of that perfect swing and getting into all these perfect positions, or is it just that it's a good tool to help you know guide people towards a couple of good things they should be doing in the golf swing? 
Well, I mean, I've always I've always laughed at at teachers who would uh, who would say take your swing and and split screen it with a, a swing of Tiger Woods, let's say, in his heyday. And they'd say, look, see where Tiger gets the club and you've got the club here. You need to be more like this or whatever. Comparisons of amateur golfers to professional golfers at the elite level is falling. It's complete stupidity because their bodies simply will not move that way. And so what I try to do when I do my swing visions is explain what the best players are doing. And then from there you can maybe, um, you know, try and adapt it to your game. When I, when I show Jason Day making a full swing and his head staying extremely steady, uh, you know, not moving all over creation, then, then the amateur golfer can go home and say, you know, I'm going to make a few swings and try and keep my head a little bit more still or, or not let it slide to the right or bob up and down or whatever the case may be. Um, so I, I just try to point out the fundamentals that certain players have in their golf swings, and then you can go find out if, how you can adapt that to your game, but not try to do the exact same thing. One of, one of our followers, uh, Rob Lawless, asked me to ask you this in relation to the swing. Um, he says, you reference Ben Hogan a lot. Did you ever see him hit shots in the flesh? Uh, yes, I did. And, uh, and in fact, back in the 70s, um, for a couple-year period, I was on the Ben Hogan advisory staff as a club professional and went out there and, and Mr. Hogan actually ground a set of irons for me. Um, and I don't know that I mentioned Ben Hogan nearly as much as I mentioned Sam Snead. Because I spent a lot of time with Sam and I find his golf swing to be, you know, one that average golfers should try to emulate way more than Hogan's. You know, with a big turn, the left heel off the ground, a free-flowing motion. I thought Sam Snead had the best golf swing in the history of golf. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful swing, and it's amazing that it's all the fundamentals are still there over all this time, and you can still go back to them, and they, they still relate to golf these days. Um, are there any modern-day swings that you think, um, like of the players right now, that you think we'll be looking back on in 15, 20 years' time the same way we look back on, you know, Sneeds and Hogan's and, and early Tiger swings? You know, I, I, I don't. And, and I say this because I think that we're we're in a uh, we're in this thirty forty year window where uh, instruction has become extremely popular and uh, with what I call the three M's: methods, money, and marketing. You know, where teachers try to develop a method that they can market so they can make money. It's not necessarily going to help all golfers. And I think you're going to see in the next 10 or 15 years a move back to the more classical movement of a golf swing with the left heel coming off the ground, a bigger lower body turn, uh, a lot more range of motion, kind of like what Sam Snead did. Because right now, the Jason Days of the world, the Roy McElroys of the world, uh, all these guys that have their feet firmly planted on the ground, resist with the lower body, turn the upper body, they're all getting injured and they're all they're all having back problems and so on and so forth. So I think when we look back on this on this era from say nineteen eighty five to two thousand twenty, uh, we're gonna find that it was a golf swing that wasn't really well suited to longevity.
So we're from Ireland. Um, have you ever been to Ireland and did you play golf here? Uh, I was there for the Ryder Cup at the K-Club. And uh, uh, I know why after that week that it's known as the Emerald Isle. <laughs> because it, it was just absolutely raining uh, all week long. Having said that, I love Ireland. Um, and uh, I have played. Royal County Down is one of my favorites. Uh, Port Marnock. Uh, I, I was really quite disappointed, actually, that with given the golf courses available in Ireland, that the K Club was was chosen for the Ryder Cup because it was more or less an American style golf course. And I would have I would have liked to see uh, you know an old links course being used, but money talks, doesn't it? So you know we were there, but it's it's wonderful. The people are fantastic. The golf courses are spectacular. And uh, anybody who loves golf needs to play golf in Ireland. Okay. Um, any t- any courses here on your bucket list? Uh, you know what? I, Royal County Down was always a favorite of mine. And I've, I've had a chance to play it. I guess the golf courses that I've played have, have all been checked off my bucket list. Wow. Okay. If you do happen to come to Ireland, pick out one or two courses and uh, we'll, we'll tee it up together. Awesome. I look forward to it. Okay, great. The uh, speaking of the Ryder Cup, the Ryder Cup's coming up uh, very soon. Any prediction on the winner, or is it just let's see what happens on the weekend? Well, I think the biggest thing is going to be you're going to find uh, this is going to be a transition year in the Ryder Cup in the sense that uh, a lot of the familiar European names are going to be absent from the team. You know, no Ian Poulter. Uh, it's going to be difficult. Uh, you still have Sergio probably. I don't know if Lee Westwood's going to make it or not. Um, you're going to get the younger guys, the Andy Sullivans, the, those type of guys that are that have never been in the Ryder Cup. And the same thing, by and large, for the U.S. team. They're going to see a lot of new faces on the U.S. side. So it's going to be a transition year, and there's not going to be many players on the uh, on the uh, American side with scar tissue from the last few Ryder Cups, and there's not going to be many Europeans with fond memories of, of victories, you know, so it's going to be a, a kind of a clean slate this year in Minnesota. It's going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, we all love the Ryder Cup here. Quick, uh, James James has uh, this uh, brainchild. He'd love to see a Seniors Ryder Cup. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, they couldn't play that many holes in that short a time frame. They'd all get tired. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a nine-hole format. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, it, it wouldn't, I don't know that it would necessarily be a bad thing, but, but nothing ever quite can replicate the original, you know. Even, even the President's Cup, which was designed back in the day to get, uh, at the time, the world's number one player, Greg Norman, involved in, in matches like that. Uh, when the USA plays the rest of the world, uh, it's fun competition, but it doesn't match up to the Ryder Cup. I think the Ryder Cup stands head and shoulders above everything else because of its history, because of its its uh, kind of iconic status in the game. So even if you had a uh, uh, a senior event and you and you got Faldo to play Azinger again, uh, I don't know that it would uh, it would captivate the audience as much as it did the first time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little a little nostalgia maybe uh, from a very historic game. 
Um, another one I'd love to see, but I'd love to see the Shell's wonderful world of golf come back. But, uh, money talks and the guys are all very busy these days. So I think it's, that's just something that's in the past, unfortunately. Well, I mean, the, the reason that we love the world, the wonderful world of golf was because there, there was no golf on television back then to speak of. And any chance we had to see some of the world's best playing, um, was, uh, you know, we, we would, we would, Set our watches by it, you know. So, uh, with as much golf as there is on television today, I don't know that it would hold the same weight. I think we've got way too much golf on television these days. So there's no anticipation, no need to, uh, uh, you know, alter your schedule so that you're home for for those two hours on a Saturday afternoon when when Shell's wonderful world of golf was on. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, speaking of golf being on, there is an Open Championship happening right now, so I think it's time that I let you go and uh, you can settle down on the couch for the the rest of the day to watch the uh, the excitement and the pros battle the winds and troon. Well, I will be inside watching because I'm in Maine right now and it is absolutely pouring down rain, very similar to troon, so uh, uh, although it's a bit warmer. I will be inside watching, and it's going to be a fun afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you very, very much for your time, Peter. No worries. Had fun. I enjoyed it. So that was a superb interview with Peter Costas, and uh, something that I have to say I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, well done to Barry for, for a very um, you know well put together and very informative interview with, with Peter Costas. I'm surprised uh, that you were able to hold the conversation together, uh, the amount of awe that you were uh, displaying. But um, firstly, I just want to say again on behalf of Barry and myself to Peter Costas, thank you so much for for doing it. But also, I have to give a quick shout out to all the people on Twitter who follow us at Podcast GTS who bombarded Peter a while ago to to sit down and do the interview for the 100th episode. Didn't quite get there, but... Uh, thank you to the listeners for helping to facilitate it as well because uh, I think with your encouragement and pokes in the right direction Peter uh, Peter got to know us and contact was made so worth every day of the wait absolutely really fantastic absolutely. and th- thanks a million to Peter for that I hope everybody enjoyed it we'll leave so, it to you to sign off James uh, congratulations uh, Barry on your 68 and getting down to 9 uh, congratulations again to Brian Downs my great partner today and uh, thank you all for listening at podcast GTS is the Twitter handle a good talk spoiled at gmail.com don't forget those iTunes ratings the iTunes ratings you will also get us on Game Golf as well uh, download the app and follow your stats and your scores uh, give us a uh, give us a follow and we'll follow you back and uh, that just leaves me to say thank you everybody for listening keep in contact with us and let us know what your thoughts of the Peter Costas interview were and uh, we will talk to you all again next week bye bye well you're fine bye bye